one of the nicest things about this business is the people I get to meet. And I was speaking at a conference in beautiful, and I do mean beautiful, Temecula, California, when I got to meet and hear one of the world's best leadership speakers, Tim Harrington. And now you're going to meet him, too. People who inspire, empower, and guide us to our very best. Leaders who are walking the walk. Your host, leadership activist, author, and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement, Jim Bouchard. Tim Harrington is the author of Eisenhower on Enlightened Leadership, and he's one of the most sought-after speakers in leadership today. Tim believes that leadership is a skill, not a talent, making it learnable rather than an inherent character trait. And he teaches leaders to inspire through a shared vision. So in his words, people carry out what you want them to carry out, not because you want them to, but because they intrinsically want to. Today, he's the president of Team Resources, a firm that provides strategic planning, training, and consulting for financial institutions nationwide. And Tim, one of the things that most impressed me when we met was the synergy in our definitions of the genuine leader. You know, in the Sensei Leader Movement, we define the leader as someone with the ability to attract willing followers. Note the emphasis on the word willing, right? And of course, someone with the will to serve those followers. I believe we're singing in harmony. We certainly are. And so your book, which is a wonderful book on the sensei leader, oh, it, it is it is almost um, it is almost the same book I wrote, yet from an entirely different perspective, because um, we both look at the it, what, what Lao Tzu called and what I what I call for Eisenhower, the enlightened leader, because, mm-hmm. you know, Jim, there's there are many different types of leadership. Um, some leave a wake of disaster behind them, and some lead you to that 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 bright light in the future. And I think that's what you and I are both talking about in our books: is that leader who who doesn't leave the weight the the wake of destruction behind him, but the one that does lead you to a better place. And um, I think that's why you and I hit it off so well. We see that. Uh, the, the the leader we aspire to be, the leader we aspire to teach, are the same type of leader. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny that uh, so many people apply the word leader, I think, to to uh, folks who we probably wouldn't. You know what I mean? Right. That we'd probably categorize them more as a dictator or someone who's just ineffective and, and probably doesn't deserve the title of leader. Um, you know, and that's why, it's, I, yeah, it's fascinating by this concept, you know, the, your perspective on Eisenhower. You know I'm a history freak, too. So, yeah. So that really, you know, that really piqued my interest. What What is it specifically about Eisenhower that attracted you to him? You know, he's he's not sinless. Uh, no leader is. No human is. But he's one of the he's one of the clearest pictures of a person who is absolutely selfless. And um, you know, I've 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 sought for leaders before him and after him. I actually didn't I didn't intend to research Eisenhower. Um, I, I was probably more attracted to Patton at first, and then I, and which you have in your book as well, but then moved away from Patton quite significantly after I learned more about Eisenhower. So, so what it is is, you know, the things that I believe make a good leader. He 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 incorporated them so perfectly, and so he became my my model, my 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 um, uh, I guess model. That'd be the best way to put it. Um, of a leader that that incorporates the things that I believe are the most effective traits of leadership. You know, it's funny because so many people, and I, I think we talked about this out in California. There was, I think we touched on it a little bit. Um, I know we had a late night, so some some things are foggy. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but there was this idea that the military leader is associated so strongly with command and control. And of course, there's a command and control element, but that only works 
right? When you trust in that leader, you're not going to follow orders that are, you know, obviously going to get you killed, and that happens from time to time. But it's uh, it's interesting that you know you selected. Yes, you, as you said, Patton is a huge influence. Uh, is it Joshua Chamberlain and some others in military and s- some of my living friends that were military leaders, right? And I find them to be the most human-centric, compassionate leaders out there. It's, it's, it's strange there's that disconnect in people's minds. Well, you know, I think we, I think some of the programs we watch are military of a different time. And I think, um, I'm sure in the early days, pre-Eisenhower, that a military leader had to be a command and control leader. But I think... Um, Humans have changed, and communication has changed, and values have changed, and the military has had to change dramatically. Um, the, the, the military leader of today is a bottom-up leader, not a top-down leader, and for a very good reason. And the reason is our, the, the officers are older. They don't understand the technology of today. The young private or, or seaman or airman gets modern digital technology and they use it in the battlefield. Um, and so they've had to allow a lot of bottom up information so that the officers can understand the technology that the younger uh, soldier, airman, seamen are using. And so it's forced the military to be bottom up in another way. So there's a there's a practical reason behind it, Jim. But beyond that, um, if you want people to 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 move in a trusting fashion in some place that's that's dangerous or uncertain or uncomfortable, it is really helpful, not essential, but really helpful that, like you said, they trust their leader. And so a, a military leader is often one who builds trust, earns trust um, and and is is rewarded with trust uh, uh, as any leader would be who 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 has worked hard to 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 um, develop trust in the people who work for him or her. Oh, that's that's the key thing, isn't it? And it's funny. There's a couple things that came to mind. First of all, it's interesting because, you know, being a student of Sun Tzu as well, so long ago, right when you read the Art of War, he talked about that, right? Exactly what you said, that there's you know there's so much uh, that so much information that needs to come from the front lines, so much uh, so many decisions that have to be made made on the front lines, and of course, the great military leaders always emphasize the training, right? The Patton, obviously. Emphasize training so much is essential, but then you hit on on that idea of trust, right? You know, and to me, I think the three most important, most valuable assets that a leader has is respect, trust, and loyalty. I mean, what the hell can you do without these things, right? But that's where that's where that command and control. That's the only time it works, isn't it? I mean, my only experience I wasn't military, so my only experience was as a firefighter when I was young. And, you know, there were people we trusted. We'd go into any situation. We trusted that person. When we didn't right. trust that guy. Oh, then the command and control doesn't work. It, it, it breaks down. And one of the things Eisenhower said about about a boss versus a leader was, you know, that a boss commands people. But as soon as the boss is gone, the people are going to do what they want to do. Amen, a leader, right? Once the leader is gone, the people will carry on because they believe they, they've seen the vision. The leader has communicated the vision or the purpose. They believe in it. They've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid and they will carry on without the leader present. You know, I mentioned earlier, there's lots of different kinds of leadership, but the two, you know, the two distinct differences and you've already referred to that in a different terminology are a boss versus a leader. And a boss can get people to do things. Bosses work. Mm -hmm. 
we to, see it to a in, point, right? is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to a point. That's exactly right. And there's a wonderful book called Power Versus Force by Dr. David Hawkins, who passed away a few years ago. And in Power Versus Force, he talks about the different styles of leadership. And what he says is, you know, force will work, um, uh, uh, but force ultimately destroys itself. It burns itself out. Mm. Power is is something that is earned. And power never burns itself out, never des destroys itself. So being a boss will work, but it has an end point. Being a leader works. And sometimes, by the way, and you know this, Jim, as well as I do, being a leader is often more difficult, but it doesn't burn itself out. It, it, it builds on itself. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. Again, we're, we're back to, you know, 2000 years ago. <laughs> Lots of Confucius and these guys, right, that talked about power, you know, in the sense that you and I understand it, right, that in, in your capacity, your ability to, to perform effectively, not as control as so many people confuse it with. Right. And power expands only through sharing. Right. When you're willing to to cultivate the people around you. I hate to say under you, but, you know, sometimes we have to say that this idea that the more power, the more decision-making, the more control that you can put throughout the ranks, right, throughout the different levels of an organization, the more responsive people will be. And, of course, as you just touched on, if you try to put them under your thumb, that's very inefficient, and that's that's being borne out today, isn't it? Right. And I see with my clients where the the CEO or the department head is um, always needs to be in control. Mm. You see morale issues. You see turnover issues. You see people doing their job. Um, uh, following the job description, but you don't see growth and create in creativity. And boy, yeah. in the, the speed of change in this world, you know, hierarchies are important to a degree. You know, you talked about you know someone beneath you. Well, that means on the organization chart. It doesn't mean right. any personal sense. Yeah. But you know, to some to some extent, those hierarchies are important. Um, yet, when you see the the organizations of today, they're a lot flatter than they were before. And a flat organization needs people who are inspired, and inspired people who get the principles, not the rules, but the principles, are the ones who drive an organization forward. You know, that's the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflix, the 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 GAFAs. You know, the Google, Apple, Am uh, Facebook, and Amazon uh, leaders. These are these are inspired people. They they believe in what they're doing they're passionate about it and and by the way they won't work for a boss they will leave a boss a boss will be left out with all the followers a leader will be left with all the leaders um and and so you know it's what you want for your business do you want do you want it to grow change inspire the world uh, make the world a better place than it was before or or not and if you want that first one that I talked about, making the world a better place, uh, and by the way, making a lot of money along the way, you need inspired leaders in every position in the organization. No, I agree with you 100%. It's interesting you touched on the hierarchy. And I remember uh, watching a video from Jordan Peterson. Of course, he's that, that's a, a huge focus of his work, studying you know, hierarchies and how they exist in nature. And they do exist whether we want them to or not they just they, right. they they're there right but the more organic we can we can function as a hierarchy the the more powerful it is and i think that's what we're right. touching on right the people within those smaller groups and that's the subsets right when you have an organization this this uh, concept of the liberated organization um when people at the in the front lines are free to choose are free to make decisions are are free to create and and propose uh, and have enthusiastically accepted uh, their ideas and their innovations, right? 
um, they'll form their own hierarchies and they, they take care of their own business by and large. I think one of the things is, that always comes up, though, is, you know, well, well then what do you do if there's a bad a- actor? Jeez, a yeah. lot of the time they, they weed them out themselves, don't they? They do. And if you get a good uh, self-regulating team that has the authority to remove people, mm. um, you will see that they do identify the bad actors or those who are who are not contributing. And through a variety of methods and hopefully all enlightened methods will will encourage that person to go someplace else. Mm. Um, uh, you know, a, a self a self monitoring team within an organization can be really effective, um, as long as they have the authority to remove uh, those who are ineffective. And in my book on Eisenhower, I have a grid in here. It's called the corporate culture grid. Um, it actually came from Jack Welch's work, um, but the corporate it's about corp- uh, cultural competence and technological competence. And it's just a one, two, three, four grid, higher, lower on each one. But the the most, you know, the most dangerous person in an organization is the person who's technically competent, but culturally a poor fit. Amen. Um, and they're, because they, they destroy the morale, they, 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 um, they dig out the foundation of purpose and, 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 take eyes off purpose. Um, and they're sometimes the most difficult to remove out of a fear that, boy, they do so much. How can we live without them? Ah, but, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But the people who have trusted this this guidance and said, you know, we have a good person in this department as far as how much they accomplish, but they don't fit. We're going to just see if this works and let them go. And and one reader um, was in the Congo in Africa who told who read the book, and he said, we let go an engineer in the mine who carried the load, we thought. And uh, as soon as he was gone, it was like we opened a, a, a window in a stuffy room. Mm-hmm. He said the attitude of the place was so, so entirely different. So what it came down to as a leader trusting his knowledge, trusting her intuition and saying that this this person, good person, competent person doesn't fit here. And it doesn't mean they don't fit. It doesn't mean we don't like them. It doesn't mean any of those things. It It means they don't fit here, that they're a better fit someplace else. And part of Part of my work is making sure they they go someplace else to see where they can fit better. I was fired early in my career, and I was a poor fit, and I was terrified when it first happened. And then, for me, it was like a door open saying, you know, I didn't want to do that anyway. And now I get to do something that I want to do. So we worry about leave, you know, letting those performers, poor performers go. Termination is a real hard thing to deal with. But really, in all honesty, we're really giving a person a gift to do what they want to do. And a, and a leader will see it that way. You know, that is so important. Is you, you opened up a bunch of cans of worms. So we're going to pick that up right after the break. This is Tim Harrington, and we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes. The research is bomb-proof. People perform at their best when and only when they know their leaders care when they know their work has meaning, and when they have the chance to learn, grow, and develop. To accomplish this, we need to connect with the people we serve, the people who trust in our leadership. Leaders today need emotional intelligence, strong interpersonal skills, and an accurate sense of self-awareness. I'm Jim Bouchard, leadership activist and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement. The Sensei enjoys a very special relationship with students. It's one built on respect, trust, and loyalty And these are also a leader's most valuable assets. I help you build these relationships. I work with you to help you inspire, empower, and guide your people to their very best. That's what the best leaders do. 
and that's what the sensei does. My job is to help you be the sensei so you can lead your people to their very best and yours. Executive coaching, workshops, corporate training. Visit thesenseileader.com or call 207-751-4317 today to learn more. I was speaking at a conference in beautiful Temecula, California, when I got to meet and hear one of the world's best leadership speakers. That's Tim Harrington. He's the author of a tremendous new leadership book you need in your personal library, Eisenhower on Enlightened Leadership. And he's one of the most sought-after speakers on leadership today. Tim believes that leadership is a skill, not a talent, making it learnable rather than an inherent character trait. He teaches leaders to inspire through a shared vision so that, in his words, people carry out what you want them to carry out, not because you want them to, but because they intrinsically want to. Today, he's the president of Team Resources, a firm that provides strategic planning, training, and consulting for financial institutions nationwide. Learn more about Tim and his services at timharrington.net. That's timharrington.net. And get your copy of Eisenhower on Enlightened Leadership at Tim's website or Amazon. Okay, Tim, just before the break, boy, did you open up some stuff. <laughs> there was good. There's a lot of places we can go with that. You know, one of the things that and this is part of the reason I'm so excited. We've got to do some work together because, you know, we we, we share so many of the same ideas. Um, the there's too many times when people confuse a leader with top performer. Yeah, you know, someone who's a top performer might not. They may be great technically, like you just said. They may even be good managers to a degree, right? Right. But they might not be leaders. And right. I like the way you said we've got there might be a place for them, but it just might not be in a in a true leadership position. They may not be able to inspire, empower, guide people. Right. They they need to be if they're great technicians, maybe that's what they should be doing. Right. Right. And, you know, um, one of the, the things that Ike did well, Eisenhower did well, it's one of my chapters called um, uh, uh, a, 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 an inspired leader deals well with difficult people. Often your highest performers, Jim, are difficult people. The really talented people are often difficult people. And um, there's this factor you have to weigh with the highest performer. And as you said, um, and it is, are there downsides um, uh, hurting the organization more than their upsides are helping it? Mm -hmm. Uh, or can we live with their downsides? And and that's a real important thing to weigh. In an organization, you want to be as fair as possible, but it doesn't mean you treat everybody the same way. Right. Mm -hmm. And a good leader will know how to treat and connect to and draw out the talents of each person in a unique way, not in one way for everybody. Uh, a boss is one way for everybody. A leader is more dynamic than that. And so, um, you know, go back to, to Patton and Eisenhower. You know, Patton was Eisenhower's most effective combat leader, mm -hmm. but Patton um, drove Eisenhower crazy. And Eisenhower had to, <laughs> Eisenhower had to um, basically fire Patton two or three different times. But he did say, he said, uh, I cannot win this war without Patton leading one of my armies. He right. knew how important his talents were, and they outweighed all those other elements of his personality that, that were so difficult to deal with. Oh, now, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and off on a tangent, it's interesting because you see the same thing in sports. For example, for like football, Patton was know, an offensive coordinator, not a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, right. 
or he might have been the great wide receiver who drives you otherwise crazy. Um, and, and, and again, you have to wait. Does you know? Does it? Does does do the oddities break down the locker room? And you've seen a few of the stars in football, basketball, etc., where pretty soon they're traded to another team because their 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 lack of fit in the locker room actually hurt the organization, regardless of how good they were. And boy, one of the toughest things in the world is to remove a bright star right. from your from your team. Right. It's because you don't know what's going to happen with that, but it is absolutely essential, and it's part of leadership to say what's what's the best thing for the entire team, for the whole organization. Oh no, and you know one of the perfect case studies when you lack the courage or the or the fortitude to do that is what happened with Matt Lauer right at NBC. I mean that's sure that's, that's crazy. There's one thing that you really touched on that we really need to reinforce though too, and I and I know we share this idea. Um, now someone has to be willing. But people can learn effective leadership skills. It might not make them the greatest leader. It's not going to make them some, I'd argue there are no natural leaders, but these people that are perceived as such as a natural leader, you know, a person might not ever grow to that level. But people can learn leadership skills. They can learn the interpersonal skills. They can develop the emotional intelligence, the self-awareness that we're talking about. But they have to be willing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so you asked why I picked Eisenhower. One of the other reasons I picked Eisenhower was because he was so ordinary mm. and he, um, you know, he was from a very poor family. He had a, a, an ordinary education with good grades out of high school. He got into West Point when he was 20 years old, two years after high school, and he came out in the middle of the class at West Point um, he was he was never picked as anybody's future great leader, um, but what he did was he took the time to learn leadership, right. and he learned essentially two things. He learned how to deal with people. I call it the trait of diplomacy, and he learned how to plan, um, how to how to plan and communicate his plan. And those two things ultimately were were absolutely essential for a world war, for a gigantic war with millions of millions of soldiers involved. And so if a leader can can do those two things, learn how to speak diplomatically and, and diplomacy, Jim, just means, you know, it's it's telling somebody to go to hell and have them look <laughs> forward and have them look forward to the trip. Right. right. Um, so, so you can couch things in difficult things in words that don't create uh, pain or defensiveness. And so it's it's dealing with people. It's 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 clarifying a direction and communicating it well. And those are learnable things. I think there are some born leaders. I think you can look through history and there are people who were leaders at seven years old. But I think that's a tiny percentage. And there are some people who will never lead. And that's probably, you know, a pretty good size percentage, 10, 20 percent of a workforce. But that big group in between they can learn to lead. They can learn leadership skills. Leadership, as your book says, as my book says, um, leadership is learnable. No, I, I, I think that's, I, all, that's the whole point of our books. Right. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. The, the, I think we, we should have wine to have this debate, but this is this will be fun. Um, the idea of the born leader, I, I kind of rank with that because sometimes those traits will show up early, but almost well, every time that I've seen who, who we would label a natural born leader, they they have something around them, right? You know what I mean? That that helps them cultivate those those talents and their skills. Sure. And yet, but at the same time, here's the thing. You, and again, you just hit on something so important. 
Leadership is not restricted to a rank, a title, or a position of authority. It shouldn't be. I, I mean, I, I say, I start every, right. every show with this. Um, there are only two types of people in the world, leaders and those who refuse. You don't need a <laughs> title, right? If you inspire people, if you, you can empower people, and there's many ways to do that, if you can guide them, if you can help, if you're willing to lead by example, you're a leader. I don't care if you're flipping burgers or you own the restaurant, right? Uh, and that's, that's so critical. But one thing I, I didn't want to forget about this, I, I've got to send you... Um, one of my heroes, and I think if you not if you don't know of him yet, he'll be one of yours, I'm sure, is Joshua Chamberlain. Oh, sure, I yeah. love him. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know. I'm sitting about a quarter of a mile from his home. <laughs> He's one of my yeah. neighbors, so yep. that's kind of cool. And I'm looking at a whole shelf that I have. So I'd like to send you send you one of my favorite books uh, that he and he uh, he embodies everything you just talked about. I mean, he knew nothing, as particularly about military leadership, but he really knew nothing about leadership at all until he volunteered, right, to, to sign up for the Civil War, and he learned it on the fly, and he was a consummate student. The best leaders are, aren't they? They're, they're well, constant students. You, exactly right. And, you know, when I said a, a born leader, yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I were both, you were, you, we were both fighters. I was a boxer. Um, you were in martial arts, and I think you boxed as well, if I remember what you told yeah, me. Yeah, you were probably better than me. You turned out prettier than I am. But <laughs> at longer arms, that was all. That might be. It. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I saw guys who were who were absolutely incredibly uh, gifted, born athletes. But if they didn't, if they didn't um, nurture and right, cultivate right. that skill, they didn't move on. And um, a born leader still has to nurture and cultivate that skill. And you know, you mentioned Chamberlain. He's in one of my talks. I don't think he's in any of my in my book at all, but uh, Joshua Chamberlain on Little Round Top in the Battle of Gettysburg, I have, a, I have a, um, a segment of one of my talks that says, when all else fails, attack. Um, that's you know, that's and, interesting <laughs> philosophy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I kind of like it. It doesn't always work which, out, but I like it. <laughs> which he used on the Battle of Little Round Top. Yeah. Um, he, couldn't re, he couldn't retreat, and so he decided to attack, even though no one had any bullets left. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, the, his, his opposition surrendered. Um, so, you know, there, sometimes leadership is, 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 so it's learned, but it's also the creative moment. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, what what do I do in this? There's nothing that taught me how to handle this moment. What do I do now? And that creative moment is about trusting intuition. And that's what he did in Little Round Top. He trusted his intuition. Um, and so and so intuition can be we're born with it yet to some degree, but we can also develop it over time by trusting that inner voice. Um uh, strengthening it, building it, so you have something to trust and rely upon. But trust that that inner voice, and that is an essential part of of, of leadership. Don't go back to the policies. Go to what what do I think is the right next move here? And I think that's one of the things that Chamberlain, you know, in the battlefield and his in his few moments of actual battle, where he was he stood out as a leader. Oh no, absolutely. You know that that again that touches on something important, right? I think the. Well, I don't think I know this, that people with the best intuitions, people that trust their guts the most are the ones that, you know what, they work real hard to have something to draw upon, don't they? Right. Yeah. And yet, you know, when people when people don't have when they're not willing to do the work, when they're not willing to study, when they're not learning, willing to learn, to grow and develop, then they have to go back to the policies. Right. They don't have they don't have enough experience. They don't have enough genuine wisdom to, to draw on, which is where the intuition comes from. It is. And it's it's inner work. You know, it's all it's right, it's right, it's right. I, 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 um, you know, you talk about it as as the 
um, that, that inner work that, a, that a, in the martial arts you go through of, of understanding yourself, of trusting yourself, of, of trying to be a better person. Um, um, I'm not the person I was before, but I'm sure a hell of a lot better than I, than I used to be. Um, it's that person that tries so hard to get better in, in relationship, in knowledge. And, and, and when you do the inner work, you open up to the wisdom of the universe. And I don't get how that functions, but I do know it's, it's so much of intuition is like downloading from the wisdom of the universe. You use that, you use that, that, that term a moment ago, wisdom. And that's what intuition is. It's, it doesn't, we don't, it, we, we draw it from within or we download it from without, but we don't create it ourselves. It's, it all of a sudden just appears there. And that's what, that's, that's the key to intuition, but it does take inner work. Absolutely. You know, I, I think the key is funny. I used to play a game with the youngest students that I had. I called them my little dragons, three to six years old. Right. And I, I would yell to them. I said, what's the two most important words in the martial arts? And they would yell back, pay attention, right? And I think that's the most important, those are the most important two words in life and in business, Isn't too. That and that's great. what it's all about. You, if you want to develop this, this intuition, this feeling, you've got to, you've got to pay attention. I mean, that's really, it boils down to that. I love that. That's great. That's pretty wild. Hey, gosh, here we go. We're, we're almost to the end of the program. Um, I'm excited. We've got to have you back again soon. How did we let it go this long? <laughs> busy lives yeah very busy lives so well, thank got, goodness our businesses are are busy so well you've got too much to share we've got to have you back and, and really appreciate your insights let's tell folks about your book and how to how to get in touch with you and uh, how to book you for your speaking and your consultation services too Sure. So my book is uh, the one that I'm talking about today is called Eisenhower on Enlightened Leadership. And my name is Timothy Harrington, Timothy P. Harrington. That's how the author is noted on the book. Uh, you can find it at Amazon. That's the best place to find it. Or you can find it at my website, which is, t which is Tim at TimothyHarrington.net. So that's Tim at TimothyHarrington.net. That is information about my talks as well. Um, if you're in the financial institution world, we have a separate website for that, and that's for team resources, F-O-R-T-E-A-M-R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E-S.com, for team resources.com. And my uh, other information for financial institutions on, on that website. Um, and, uh, the, and, the, and the way to contact me, if you want to email me, it's uh, Tim at TimothyHarrington.net. You know, it's cool, too. We just talked for half an hour and never mentioned finance. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to because leadership is universal. Yeah, if you don't, right, if you don't take care of this, uh, you're not going to have too much finance to worry about, are you? <laughs> That's right. There you go. Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate Jim, it. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walking the Walk. Please like and share. Our mission at the Sensei Leader Movement is to support and develop human-centric leaders, leaders who put people first, leaders who inspire, empower, and guide people to their very best. Be part of the movement. Join and access all our free resources by visiting thesenseileader.com. To book Jim or host your own event, call us at 207-751-4317.